Chapter 5 The Magic Portrait As I knew that for me sleep was not to be thought of, I did not undress at all that evening, but sat down at the head of my bed on the grass mat intended for meditation and devotional prayers. I spent the night there in what I took to be a suitably spiritual fashion, filled with fervent thoughts of love and absorbed in contemplation of the lotus-bearing Lakshmi, her celestial prototype. The early morning sun, however, found me again at work with brush and colour. Several hours had already flown away as if on wings while I was thus occupied when Somadatta entered the room. When I heard him coming, I'd only just had time to thrust the panel and painting materials under the bed. I did this quite involuntarily. Somadatta took a low chair, sat down beside me, and looked at me with a smile on his face. In truth, I perceive, he said, that our house is to have the honour of being the spiritual birthplace of a holy man. You fast as only the most strenuous of ascetics do and refrain from using the luxurious bed. For neither on your pillows nor on your mattress is there to be seen the faintest impression of your body, and the white sheet is without a crease. Nevertheless, although as a result of your fasting you have already grown quite slim, your body is not entirely devoid of weight, as the observant may see from this grass mat on which you have obviously spent the night in prayer and meditation. But I find that, for so holy a tenant, this room looks somewhat too worldly. Here on your dressing table, the jar of skin cream, untouched it's true, the box of sandalwood powder, the carafe of scented water, and the dish with the bark of the lemon tree and betel nut. There on the wall, the wreath of yellow amaranths, and the vena, but where is the panel which usually hangs on that hook? In my embarrassment, I was unable to frame any answer to this question, and he, meanwhile, discovered the missing board and drew it forth from under the bed. Why, why? What wicked and crafty wizard, he cried, has caused the fascinating picture of a maiden playing ball to appear by magic upon the board which I myself hung quite empty on that hook. Plainly they have done this with evil intent to assail the embryo ascetic and tempt him at the very beginning of his career, and thus to confuse both sense and thought in him. Or could it be that this is the work of a god? For you know it is a fact that the gods fear the omnipotence of great ascetics, and beginning as you have done, the Vindhya mountains might well begin to belch smoke at the fervency of your austerities. Indeed, owing to your accumulation of blessings, the kingdom of heavenly beings might also begin to totter. And now I also know which deity it is. Certainly it is he whom we name the Invisible, the god with the flower darts, who bears a fish upon his banner. Karma, the god of love, from whom you get your name, as I now remember. And, heavens, what do I see? But this is Varsity the daughter of the rich goldsmith. And I thus, for the first time, heard the name of my beloved. My heart began to beat violently, and my face grew pale from agitation. I see, my dear friend, this incorrigible jester went on, that the idea of the magic of karma has given you a great fright, and, truly, we shall be obliged to do something in order to avert his anger. In such a case, however, I feel that a woman's counsel is not to be despised. I shall show this picture to my beloved Medini, who was one of those also at the dance, and who is, furthermore, the foster sister of the fair Varsity. With that, he was about to go away, taking the panel with him. Perceiving, however, what the rogue had in mind, I bade him wait, as the picture still lacked an inscription. I mixed some beautiful red of a brilliant hue, and in a few minutes had written, in the daintiest of script, a verse of four lines, which related in simple language the incident of the golden ball. The verse when read backwards, stated that the ball with which she had played was my heart, which I myself sent back to her even at the risk of her rejecting it. 
It was possible, however, to read the verse perpendicularly through the lines, and when so read, from top to bottom, it voiced in saddest words the despair into which my separation from her had plunged me. If one read it in the opposite direction, then the reader learned that nevertheless I dared to hope. But of all that I had conveyed to her in such a surreptitious fashion, I said nothing, so that Somadatta was by no means enchanted with this specimen of my poetic skill. It seemed to him much too simple, and he informed me that I ought certainly to mention how the god Karma, alarmed at my asceticism, had by his magic skill created this picture with which to tempt me, and that by it I had been so wholly vanquished. Somadatta, like so many others, being highly impressed by his own wit. After he carried off the picture, I felt myself in a particularly exalted and energetic mood, for a step had now been taken which, in its consequences, might lead to the longed-for goal of all my happiness. I was now able to eat and drink, and, after a light meal, I took down the vena from the wall and drew from its strings melodies that were sometimes no more than tuneful sighs, but now and then grew exulting and joyous, while I repeated the heavenly name of Varsity in a thousand endearing accents. So Madatta found me thus when, a few hours later, he came in with the picture in his hand. The ball-playing destroyer of your piece has also been moved to verse, said he, but I cannot say that I am able to find much of consequence in what she has written, although the handwriting is unusually pretty. And it was indeed pretty. I saw before me, with inexpressible joy, a second verse of four lines, written in characters like sprays of tender blossoms swayed by summer zephyrs, and looking as if they had been breathed upon the picture. So Madatta had, of course, been unable to find any meaning in them, for they referred solely to that which he had not perceived, and showed me that my fair one had correctly read my composition in every direction, backwards, upwards, and downwards. It gave me a good idea of her exalted education and knowledge, no less than it did in the revelation of her rare spirit in the graciously humorous turn she gave to my fiery declaration, which she chose to accept as a piece of gallantry, or an effusion to which too much importance need not be attached." I now attempted, I confess, to read her verse in the same criss-cross fashion which had been possible with mine, in the hope that I might find in it a covert confession or other secret message, perhaps even the invitation to a rendezvous, but in vain. And I told myself at once that this was in truth but a convincing proof of the highest and most refined feminine virtue. My darling showed me that she was perfectly capable of understanding the subtlety and daring ways of the masculine mind, but could not be induced to imitate them. Besides which, I found immediate comfort with my disappointed expectations in Somadatta's next words. But this fair one with the beautiful brows, even if she is no great poetess, really has a good heart. She knows that for a long time I have not seen her foster sister, my beloved Medini, except at large social gatherings where only the eyes may speak, and even these solely by stealth. And so she has arranged a meeting for tomorrow night, on the terrace of her father's palace. Tonight it is, I regret to say, not possible as her father gives a banquet. So until tomorrow we must have patience. Hmm, perhaps you would uh, like to accompany me on this adventure? As he said this he laughed with much slyness, and I laughed with him, assuring him that he would indeed have my company. In the best of spirits we took the chessboard which was leaning against the wall, and were about to pass the time by engaging in this game when a manservant came in, and announced that a stranger wished to speak with me. In the entrance hall I found the ambassador's attendant, who informed me that I must prepare for departure at once, and come to the courtyard of the palace that very night, bringing my wagons, in order to be able to start with the first glimmer of daylight on the morrow. My despair knew no bounds, and I imagined that I must have offended one of the deities in some mysterious way. As soon as I was able to collect my thoughts, I dashed away to the ambassador and filled his ears with lies about some business that I had not yet arranged, and that it could not possibly be brought to a satisfactory conclusion in so short a time. 
With hot tears I begged him to put off the journey for but a single day. But you said eight days ago that you were ready, he replied. I assured him that afterwards, and quite unexpectedly, the opportunity of gaining a valuable prize had presented itself, and that was indeed no falsehood, for what gain could possibly mean more to me than winning the heart of this incomparable maiden? So I finally succeeded in willing this one day from him. The hours of the next day wore quickly away, filled as they were with the preparations necessary for our journey, so that in spite of my longing the time did not drag. When evening came, our cart stood loaded in the courtyard. Everything was prepared for yoking in the oxen so that, as soon as I should appear, that is before daybreak, we might be able to start.